Welcome to The Investigation. I'm Chris Vlasto. Cure's on assignment, but I'm very happy to have my friend and colleague Cecilia Vega here. Hi. It's really strange for me because last week we had Lanny Davis and this week we have John Podesta. So it's two former Clinton advisors who I battled 25 years ago. John's already laughing. Uh, he's already <laughs> laughing because actually I, I tell everyone is that... All my hatred for Chris was transposed through Lanny. Yeah, through Lanny. <laughs> But what was funny is all the same characters from 25 years ago just never leave. They're all here again on the Trump side. Washington, baby. And, and, but but it, it's an amazing – John, the one question before Cecilia talks about you because I knew you when you were a chief of staff in the White House and a senior advisor to Clinton for all those years. And it was a battle between the White House and even the reporters in Congress – back then. Now I look at this Trump White House. I said last week that this is like on steroids, but I think the big difference is President Clinton had advisors do it, like, you know, uh, the attacks or leaks or et cetera. This president does it all himself. And and is that the crazy thing? Well, I don't think uh, any of us ever described the media as the enemies of the people or incited violence against the media at the rallies. Uh, look, we had a contentious relationship during those days, uh, but I think we handled it fairly and, and tried to be on a level. And I think one of the things that Lanny was known for was always advising just get the story out. And I think that's what we were trying to do. Um, uh, but it was, you know, it was a, it was a heated political battle and a battle, I think, really for control of politics in the country, and that's what Clinton's impeachment was all about. You know, our strategy was to kind of isolate the investigations uh, and the look by the media in, in, you know, beginning with Whitewater, but then, uh, you know, ultimately uh, with the Lewinsky uh, matter, uh, to isolate it from the business of government, from the what the press secretary was doing at the podium, to concentrate on uh, trying to get the job done for the American people. Uh, in some uh, level, I think what President Trump does is to drag it back into the White House, make it everybody's busy, busy business in the White House, makes it, I think, a lot harder for people to do their jobs. I think we uh, found a way uh, to have a team that was in the White House Counsel's office that dealt with it every day. You know, my job was really to enforce that and to make sure that uh, people kept their nose to the grindstone. And I think one of the reasons that the American public stuck with uh, President Clinton in his job approval rating during even during impeachment was in the 60s was because they they got the fact that he was trying to do uh, the work of the people. And I think with Trump, the reason he stays in the 40s, notwithstanding uh, the strong economy that he inherited and, is, and has lived with, uh, is that he can't get away uh, from, uh, from the combat uh, that is at the heart of these investigations. Let me just formally introduce you and, and give our listeners a little bit of your background so they know where you're coming from here. Uh, you, you just mentioned it. Uh, the served as the White House Chief of Staff uh, to President Clinton, counselor to President Obama. You're currently the founder and director for the Center of American Progress. We know each other uh, in my past life uh, covering the Hillary Clinton campaign where you were the campaign chairman at the risk of sending you into a fit of PTSD, 
Let me play a sound for you from President Trump, uh, July 2016 at an event in Florida, and we'll talk to you about it on the back end. If it is Russia, which is probably not, nobody knows who it is, but if it is Russia, it's really bad for a different reason, because it shows how little respect they have for our country when they would hack into a major party and get everything. But it would be interesting to see. I, I will tell you this. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. I think you will probably be rewarded mightily by our press. Let's see if that happens. Okay. I was shocked to hear him say that uh, in particular. Like, what the hell is he talking about or no? Uh, no, because at that point, uh, we knew that the Russians had... Uh, engaged in interference. Uh, they had hacked the DNC. Uh, later learned that they had also hacked my personal email. Uh, but uh, we knew that they were actively interfering in the election. Uh, and we knew, uh, and we were making the argument, the press was skeptical at that point, uh, that the reason they were doing it was b- because they had someone they couldn't have probably imagined uh, being the nominee of a major party in this country and uh, couldn't have imagined a a senior political figure uh, taking, in essence, their side of all the foreign policy disputes from uh, Ukraine to Europe to NATO to Syria. Uh, You had someone who rejected the uh, bipartisan uh, views about uh, the way the U.S. should proceed with respect uh, to viewing Uh, Russia as a competitor and instead uh, kind of essentially embracing Putin's foreign policy. I got to ask you what it's like behind the scenes, though. You know Hillary Clinton better than anybody. Is she coming to you going, how in the hell have you guys not gotten this onto the front pages yet? Are you screwing this up? Why are they not taking you seriously? What's happening? I think she was very frustrated by it, you know, and I think that it wasn't for lack of trying. Uh, I think we were both pushing uh, the argument uh, that Russia was, in fact, interfering on his behalf. Uh, and we were on television. I did, you know, probably every Sunday show making this argument. You know, people were uh, were actually surprised uh, at how far we were going. Now, in retrospect, Everything we we're saying turns out to be true. By people, and, you mean the Obama administration? No, I'm talking about people uh, in the in the press corps. Do you think the Obama administration dropped the ball? Look, I think they could have been. Uh, you know, they finally uh, in uh, it took them till October seventh. On October seventh, they finally uh, came out uh, and uh, issued a statement that it came out from the director of national intelligence and from the Secretary of Homeland Security, Jay Johnson, uh, that said that Russia was, uh, in fact, interfering in the election. Uh, that was the same day they started dropping the emails uh, that, that they had hacked from me, by the way, and through WikiLeaks. And we're like four weeks out from the camp, from the we're election four weeks day out from at this the, point. For, from the election. But, you know, it was, it was extremely frustrating to us. I think that it showed something that I'm still not sure, and particularly given the people who now are in charge of the uh, government. Uh, uh, and I've, you know, talked to both the House and Senate Intelligence Committee about when you receive information through classified channels, 
sometimes you're uncertain about how much you can tell the American public about what you know. Obviously, John Brennan, Jim Clapper, Jim Comey uh, knew more than they were saying. And notwithstanding, uh, you know, again, this is grudge I bear, I guess, <laughs> notwithstanding Mr. Comey's willingness uh, to talk publicly uh, and uh, break precedent and break policy of the Justice Department about Hillary Clinton and her emails, they were unwilling uh, to basically confirm what they knew. Uh, and I think that, you know, so I think the, do I think the press should have taken this more seriously and done more during the election? Yes, I do. Do I think that to some extent uh, they would have done more had the administration been more forthcoming? That's probably true, too. You know, the most important thing is if we learn anything uh, and, you know, the Russians are getting ready to fix, you know, getting ready to do this again. Andrew McCabe said in an interview, I don't know if it's in his book, but he definitely said in an interview that he actually could entertain the notion that Donald Trump, I think, could be a covert, did he say covert agent? Asset of Russia. That is a an enormous allegation. That is that. What, what's your when you heard that? What do you think? Well, look. I think uh, uh, look at his course of conduct. You know, I always felt like the hooks into Trump were more on the financial side, and I think um, it's interesting because I think that Adam Schiff, the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, has felt like that may be an issue that was left unexplored by. The Mueller investigation; they seem to be uh, interested in 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 pursuing that, uh, and uh, you know they were always trying to do business uh, on that side. Uh, but obviously, uh, Trump has something about Vladimir Putin. I don't think it's just that he admires uh, authoritarians, although that seems to be true too. Uh, that he was always excused in. Uh, Putin's conduct. He always had some affinity for Russia. Where that came from, whether you know it was from Compromat, whether it's from the financial connections, whether it was from uh, some other you know uh, relationship that he had with cutouts for uh, for Russia, they s- seem to be perfectly happy to do uh, to encourage the Russians to uh, interfere in our democratic process and and. In the end of the day, they they were rewarded for it because Donald Trump sits in the in the Oval Office tonight. I can see a lot of people listening to this right now wringing their hands at what you're saying, uh, and not to relitigate 2016 because you we've already all done that. But are you do you really think that Hillary Clinton lost the election because of Russia and not because of her candidacy and the way she campaigned? Uh, look, I think that it was a tough campaign, and. Uh, she bears some responsibility. The campaign bears responsibility for that. On the other hand, she got you know, more votes than anybody ever running for president except Barack Obama in 2008, and she got three million more votes than, uh, than, uh, than Donald Trump did. So I think that uh, we uh, were unable to convince people whose uh, economic fortunes had stalled or gone down. Uh, particularly uh, that group of people in the upper Midwest who had seen their, uh, who had put some hope in the Obama presidency but had not seen their economic, uh, you know, fortunes improve. We're unable to convince them that she was 
going to be able to do things differently. And we paid a serious price for that. So, yeah, it's the campaign's fault. Maybe it's her fault. But I think that, uh, you know, Trump was, uh, in, a, in his own way, he was an effective candidate, both in the primaries and in the general election, uh, breeding hate and division. Do I think the Russians uh, were the cause? You know, I think when you lose by those few votes in those three states, you know, everything counts. If I had to put one, my finger on one thing that I think was uh, really turned the election right at the end, it was it was really more Jim Comey's statements uh, that the, he had reopened the email investigation. That's when we really saw the race tighten again. Uh, and in the end of the day, I think that probably uh, did us in and at, at the very end. Let's fast forward to 2019. Roger Stone, you wrote in an op-ed recently, despite my Italian roots, vengeance doesn't run <laughs> deep in my veins, but I admit I smiled when Roger Stone's arrest was announced. What do you want to happen, see happen to Roger Stone? Well, I think Roger Stone's on his way to prison, quite frankly. I think that um, I think the prosecutors have made uh, a prima facie case for certainly against him, but I think he, uh, in the end of the day, he can he can strut and he can, you know, do his Nixon impressions. But, you know, maybe when the when the cell door clanks, he'll he'll feel a little bit more remorse. Do you think he knew about your hack beforehand? Uh, do I do I personally think that? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, you know, there are excuses that they've come up with. Both he and and Mr. Corsi, who he has to come up with some cover for it, don't don't. Uh, uh, you know, they fall apart when you actually looked at the facts. So, uh, you know, he claims he didn't. Uh, I think there's uh, every indication that he that he that he probably did. But, you know, I think that's a question that will get settled uh, in the course uh, of a trial. And in this context, I don't think it really matters because I think uh, whatever he knew or didn't know, he uh, gave false both gave false statements to the House Judiciary Committee, uh, and then tried to, uh, and then tried to cover it up. If but you read the you indictment, think Mueller should have charged him for that. I mean, every th- everything Mueller's doing is charging people for lying, but he's not charging them. <laughs> that should tell you something, though, Chris. No, 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 no. But that, you, you know yeah, what I mean. That in the his, sense of you know when when he when when your national security advisor, your campaign chairman, your deputy campaign chairman, your longest political associate, okay. uh, you got me. and your and 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 your uh, longtime. Uh, personal counsel are all charged with lying. It should tell you something about the culture that Donald Trump has built around himself. I, I hear you on that. But you understand my point is if he colluded, if he knew about your hack before, right. that's a big, big deal. That's a that's, you know, conspiracy to, uh, I think, well, fraud the election. I, I mean, I think, you know, Donald Trump says no collusion, no collusion, no collusion. When you step back, uh, and you look at the 101 contacts, the 28 meetings, the the uh, you know particularly the meeting in, in Trump Tower in, in in June, Donald Jr. saying uh, uh, and, and and setting up that meeting and uh, and and saying you know that this is this is great. Uh, I don't think there's any real question that. People could conclude that there was no collusion. The question does it, does it rise to a criminal conspiracy, uh, and that's something that only Mr. Mueller uh, knows. Or uh, I think it it his job in the end of the day uh, is to render a judgment about that. 
there's reporting that his investigation is about to wrap up at least his phase of the investigation. Uh, these cases will go on uh, and proceed. The Southern District of New York case, which involves Mr. Cohen and others, uh, will go on. The case uh, involving what happened at the uh, inauguration and the inauguration committee. But, you know, Mr. Mueller will wrap that up. We don't know what he's going to say. But what if he you know, doesn't we don't... say, what if there's no smoking gun? What if there's no massive conclusion of a cover-up, of a conspiracy, of obstruction? Does the American public turn a page and move on? Would you, would the Democrats well, I be think willing the, to I think walk the, away from this? You know, I think there are, again, there are other investigations that are ongoing uh, that that could that I think are almost certain to prove troublesome for the uh, administration. I don't think uh, people are are ready to say that this report to the attorney general is the, is the last word because there are trials that are going to continue to go on. There could be more indictments coming. We don't know. <laughs> uh, he could say it's Justice Department policy that I can't uh, indict a sitting president. If he basically says, look, we ran this to ground uh, and while there's a lot of you know, inappropriate conduct, a conduct unbecoming a president of the United States, but we can't make a conspiracy case, you know, I think then the the American public is going to have to decide uh, whether Donald Trump was fit, temperamentally fit, and whether he's the president they want or, or whether they are going to vote him out of office. But I think one way or the other, uh, we ought to know what Mr. Mueller says to the attorney general. There's been a lot of uh, confusion about what the attorney general intends to do with the report. Uh, Mr. Mueller's obligation is only to issue reports saying, why did we indict the people we did and why did we decline prosecuting uh, others. And I think there's no question that Mr. Barr is going to have to cough that up to the Hill. You were interviewed by the special counsel. I was. Uh, based on your interaction with his investigators, do you expect, can we expect any big surprises out of the report? I won't speculate because I have no idea what he's going to do. I know that when uh, I was interviewed, uh, even at that moment, I wasn't – they didn't put their thumb on the scale one way or the other. They asked me factual questions and I gave them the best – to the best of my knowledge uh, answers to those questions. So I couldn't tell which way they were going and I suspect most of the people who have uh, interacted uh, with, uh, with his team who are uh, professional prosecutors uh, don't know either. So we'll just have to wait and see but I think uh, – again, I think I have to say that and I've seen a bunch of different special counsels <laughs> and independent True. counsels uh, in my years, particularly during the during my uh, years with President Clinton, handle things uh, in different ways. And I think you have to uh, give it to Mr. Mueller that he's been extremely professional. You know, could Stormy Daniels and Michael Cohen? Do you think that's an impeachable offense? Well, I think there are sort of two questions. Is it a crime and is it an impeachable offense? So it's, it, it, it seems to me like the, that uh, to the extent that there was a conspiracy to violate the campaign finance laws, which uh, Mr. Cohen uh, it got ensnared in and, and, uh, and in the end of the day pled guilty to, there was <laughs> more conspirators, including the president, who directed him to do it. Whether it's an impeachable offense is a question I think that uh, members of the 
uh, of the House of Representatives need to consider, does it rise to the level of high crimes and misdemeanors that requires the removal from office? And will the public accept that? And I think that there are a lot of people who think that just that crime itself should. My guess is that the committee uh, and the House will demand more. Uh, I think that uh, if you're thinking about the things that the president has done as president, his continuous interference in this election seems to me of a nature that's even more important and should at least require the inquiry by the House Judiciary Committee as to whether Trump was in fact obstructing justice or at least attempting to obstruct justice. And I think they will view that in a way as a more serious crime because he was doing it as president of the United States. So assume Mueller concludes any minute really could happen. Uh, Now Barr has to decide how much of this report to make public. How much should he make public? Congress needs to see the whole thing. The country is driven apart by this. I think one of the only ways for people to feel like this is fair, it's on the level, is for the Congress to have access to it. And the public should see everything that doesn't need to remain classified. Hypothetically, though, you think you would actually be saying this if this was your guy in office? I think that I lived through it with my guy in office, (laughs) right? Uh, I don't think the Republicans – I think the Republicans didn't hesitate without reading the Star Report to to put it on the internet. And I think, you know – the, we, we live with the consequences of that. I think the only way to reassure both sides of the political spectrum uh, is for the public to get to see what the product of Mr. Mueller's investigation. Look, it might not help us. Maybe he'll say, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, there was a lot of shenanigans, but none of it rises to the level of, uh, of a crime or of criminal intent. About shenanigans. I mean, do you regret, as the campaign chairman of Hillary Clinton, hiring like Glenn Simpson and Chris Steele to go off and who knows who Chris Steele was talking to in Russia. I mean, is that a regret? I think it's worth saying for the record, uh, this occurred without the direct knowledge of the campaign, but through our campaign council who was had the responsibility, our outside council had the responsibility of doing Apple's research. They hired Fusion. Uh, I do think it's quite different uh, to try to you know, this began as a as an effort to unravel Trump's business dealings with Russia. Um, Mr. Steele was a professional, uh, someone that the FBI in other cases relied on. Uh, he had come out of uh, British intelligence and was viewed as having good contacts. So, no, I don't think it's the same uh, as soliciting information from the Russian government, which was committing crimes to obtain that information. You know, we forget sometimes that those hacks were themselves crimes and that, you know, I found myself on the receiving end of that and being a victim of a crime. Uh, and, there, and those are serious crimes that the, that the Russian government uh, was committing. Do you have a sense of how close Hillary Clinton is following all of these, the iterations in this investigation? Look, I think she's tried to uh, uh, move on uh, as best she can. I'm sure she's, uh, you know, I'm she's following them with interest. And I think 
uh, you know, it's hard to get over uh, a loss like this. Final yep. question to go full circle. Uh, is she going to run again? No. Uh, you know, I think uh, uh, I think she would have made a great president. I, I thought that from the first day I signed on to the campaign and uh, and on election night when we when we knew it wasn't to be. Uh, but I think she has said that uh, she doesn't intend to run again. I don't. I don't. And I, I, I take her at her word. Um, and I think, you know, the country loses for that because she would have been a fabulous president. John Podesta, thank you for being here. Thank you very much, John. Sure. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. All right, so we're we're back here today, and now we have our roundtable with John Santucci, Matt Mosk, and our special guest appearance, Mary Bruce, who is the congressional correspondent here at ABC. John Podesta actually had a lot to say, and what did you guys think, Matt? I mean, he does not harbor uh, resentment or anger towards anybody except for Roger Stone, is what it sounds like. He's going to feel yeah, the, he- the sting of the door as it hits him. On his way into jail. Yeah, he really doesn't like Roger Stone at all. That was clear. I was actually going to ask Chris because, you know, for you, you know know John Podesta from yesteryear with the first round of Clintons. I mean, what was that like for you to speak to him now about this case? Well, listen, I think John Podesta is right, though, about what he said about 20 years ago versus now. I mean, he led a White House in a very smart way of compartmentalizing uh, the people who dealt with scandal versus the president himself. And he was very smart. Uh, He and I, he'd only get angry at me 20 years ago, but I never really dealt with him directly. He had Mike McCurry and Lanny Davis and all these guys doing that. So he's a very smart tactician. So when he looks at this White House, he he knows what they're doing right and what they're doing wrong. And, and it's interesting, though, who he blames. That, that's to me, was the most interesting thing out of that is he blames James Comey for the loss of the election, not the Russians. Yeah, I mean, listen, you can believe that, right? We all remember that day. I mean, Trump almost came out skipping in New Hampshire when Comey announced that they were reopening the investigation. I mean, I remember waiting there for an hour and a half in Manchester as we're trying to figure out what's he going to do. And, like, he was just bouncing because he felt that was a big gift Comey gave him, one of the only gifts he really got. What I thought he said, though, was in an election that was as close as this one was, everything made a difference. And so I think... There is some part of him that must see this as a contributing factor, not just the Comey uh, investigation, but also this. Do you think he feels that the investigation, the Mueller report, is going to be disappointing? Did you sense that from him, from his point of view, or was that me? I, I didn't get a sense that he really knew what it was. I mean, he clearly wants the whole thing out there, right? I mean, Matt, correct me if I'm wrong, but I didn't get a feeling that he had really an attitude one way or another on that. No, I mean, I think he has a narrow window into it because we know, as he said, he was interviewed, but a, about a very narrow portion of this. And honestly, it sounded like when he uh, sees Roger Stone sitting in front of a jury, that's going to be his happiest moment. Well, now let's bring Mary in here because actually this week is going to be a big week in Capitol Hill because a certain guy is showing up on Wednesday, right? Finally. 
It's much delayed, but Michael Cohen is finally going to be making his appearance before three committees uh, coming up to speak, not just before the Senate Intelligence Committee, the ones that he lied to, which, of course, Congress does not take too kindly to. They are eager to have another stab at him, but also uh, coming up and speaking to the House side. And we're going to see him publicly speaking out before the Oversight Committee. This is the first chance that they will have to get a stab at him. And remember, I mean, they are going to want to talk to him, yes, of course, about hush money payments. To, to, to these women who allege they had affairs with the president, but they can ask him about anything. It is going to be incredibly wide-ranging, and it is sort of the first time that, that the Hill will, will get a chance to dig into so many uh, of these questions because, of course, Michael Cohen, you know. But when you, Mary, are talking to members up there, and they're, you know, uh, we know Michael's been up there the last couple days, has been meeting with mm-hmm. them, going through um, potentially, I guess, what it's going to be like for him. But where do you think their focus is going to be in these hearings? Each one is different. Yeah. But for the one that we're going to see the public one mm-hmm. on Wednesday, what do you think that one is going to be? Where do we think that they're going to zoom in How to How many start? people are on the committee? It's a big committee. I mean, o- oversight is a large yeah. committee. So, And keep in mind, you know, this is still a congressional hearing, so time is limited. And they've made very clear in the run-up to this that there are some limitations, right, that they can't ask uh, because the Mueller investigation is still ongoing, that they fully expect that there are areas where Cohen's going, going to have to say, look, I simply can't answer that, but especially not in women, public. Though? Are they really going to say, they hey, care tell me about, about Stormy Daniels? Well, the, if you're a Democrat, yeah, the Democrats care about everything. And, and they want to get to the bottom of, of yes, you know, the, the issues that he may have been misleading uh, about previously. But this is a man who knows a lot about the, the Trump organization, about the Trump family. You know, he, he was his fixer. This is the guy who was by Trump's side for so many years. So they want to know about it all. Uh, I think Republicans, of course, when you talk to them, they say, look, this is a charade. They say, especially since he's going to be limited in what he can say, given the ongoing special counsel probe that, that you know, Democrats are just bringing him up there to, to kind of parade around these issues. But if you're a Democrat, you've got a long list of bullet points that you want to get through. Do you think the con- congressional Democrats did it purposely on Wednesday while the president is sitting in uh, Are you suggesting Hanoi? there's some politics at play here? Yeah, but, you know, normally there was a <laughs> they decorum, would never. right, in Washington. I've been around Washington a very long time. You would never do this while a president was conducting foreign It policy. certainly lets them keep uh, certain issues in the spotlight while the president would much rather be focused on other issues abroad. But keep in mind that they also initially wanted to have this hearing several weeks ago and that Cohen offered to various hearings various explanations for why he couldn't a- appear and has now decided to do these back-to-back appearances on the Hill. Is this the start? of a new chapter, are we going to start seeing show hearings, these big moments where all of the people whose names we now know from the Mueller investigation are going to start appearing one at a time in front of Congress? And what's that going to be like? In short, yes. Uh, You are going to see the Hill try essentially uh, to recreate the special counsel's probe in many ways. They want to get to the bottom of what they say is an administration that's been able to operate unchecked for the last two years. And they feel that now that Democrats have power in the House, that this is their chance. So they are going to be bringing up people uh, who are close to the president, you know, close to these issues that the investigation is focusing on. And, you know, while Republicans will argue that these are show hearings, Democrats will say that it's long overdue. Is there going to be competition between the different oh, yeah. committees? Who gets to have who the gets big at moment it? with Michael Cohen? Who has the big moment with General yeah. Flynn, some of these key players? All of these chairmen want to uh, have the first stab at it, right? And you do have certain competition, I would say, uh, and in many ways some conflict between some of these 
uh, various committees. Who's winning but they, right now? Well, well, look, they also say that they are. Some of them are coordinating. Some some committees uh, are more bipartisan than others. Uh, Senate Intel, for one, is is managed to maintain still a bipartisan investigation into some of these issues. Uh, others are more contentious. But look, oversight has made very clear, in particular, that they are going to come out strong. I think on some of these issues, and that's why I think you're seeing Cohen come publicly before them for this first big blockbuster. And when this report comes out or doesn't come out or is out. <laughs> Whatever that report one? may be. Yeah, yeah. The, the Mueller report. Who, that's Jerry Nadler's uh, he grabs that ball? Yes, but remember, we're still trying to figure out exactly what does Congress get because we know that whenever the Attorney General is informed of the, the findings, the report you know, I say report loosely that then the chairman and the ranking members of the Judiciary Committees on the House and the Senate side will receive some kind of information about that well, whether that means a full report is communicated to them, we don't know what does that look like? Is this that they go to the Justice Department and go into some secret reading room and pour over whatever the special counsel may have found? Is it that they get a eh, bullet pointed summary? We just don't know. And then what do we get as reporters and the public? And we don't know yet, Mary, did Chairman Nadler actually reach out to the Justice Department yet and ask for all the evidence that mm-hmm. the Mueller uh, team has collected. But they can do that, right? Yeah, there is some precedent for that going back to Watergate where the, the chairman can request all of that evidence be turned over. What we do know is, is that the Hill has made very clear that they are going to want Mueller on the Hill. They're going to want to hear from him directly what he's found. Uh, and they are likely to request that all of the evidence be turned over in one way or another. Do you think that's actually going to be a public hearing, though? We can hope. <laughs> and, and, I'm, and I'm sure that the, the chairman would like that. Um, but I'm also sure, given uh, the sensitivity of the nature of this investigation, that you're likely to see some open, some closed. So if you're a Republican and this is all going to happen, this is going to be the hearings to take out President Trump because the Democrats are in command— what do the Republicans do during this? Well, I'd push back on, on that initially. I mean, I don't know if Democrats would say this, these are to take out the president. Remember, they know that they're treading lightly here in some ways because they feel that the oversight is necessary and a long time coming. John Batista didn't think the Stormy Daniels campaign finance violation is worth going towards impeachment. He definitely did not uh, suggest yeah, that. Yeah, and remember, the Hill has been very... I, I'm not disputing with you that there are certainly Democratic members who have made very clear uh, <laughs> with some colorful language at that, that that's what they're after here. But they also know that if they want to move in that direction, first of all, that they want to see what Mueller has found or has not found, uh, and that they then need to try and recreate this in a public setting because if they ever want to move towards impeachment, Mm -hmm. you're going to need to have some public opinion on your side. And you're not going to get that unless you have these public hearings. One thing they've already made clear is that they plan to move past the campaign. While Mueller is focused solely on the campaign, the congressional investigation seemed to be focused moving forward on conduct while Trump is in the White House. I thought, actually, that story, Matt, that you did recently about the... Yeah, this is about Michael Flynn and his effort to get. <laughs> no, I I, I remember. <laughs> Did you read the this story? The <laughs> about the transfer of job, boss. Really appreciate the support. I thought it was. I thought it was a very good story. Yeah, clearly you remembered every word of it, huh? <laughs> no, but they. You're. I mean, that story is a, is actually a perfect example of this. That the oversight committee is looking at 
how nuclear technology was potentially going to be shared with Saudi Arabia. They want to look at the actions that Trump administration yeah. is taking going forward. And it is a really good point. And it's a challenge that the committees face as well. Because remember, you know, not just these committees all have kind of different mandates when it comes to their oversight and their investigations. And they're having to make some difficult decisions now. How much backward looking do you do and how far back do you go? Or do you focus on current issues that you feel need oversight and more scrutiny? And there's a lot. Uh, I mean, the, the, the to-do list, uh, uh, you know, in front of some of these chairmen are, are quite lengthy. And so it'll be interesting to see which committees focus so, more on the past and which go more forward looking. And so if I'm playing congressional bingo and I want to win and I want to cheat off Mary Bruce's sheep, what do you think are going to be – forget we know Mueller is going to go up there. Is that I a mean, thing? some people do. I mean, if I was playing at home, besides Mueller, besides mm-hmm. Russia, besides all this stuff – what do you think are going to be, let's go top two, three things that they're going to go back to? To Matt's point, we know they're going to go over the past two years. Right, I'm going to interrupt and say Trump Hotel. I I was gonna, it's gonna conflicts okay, so of it's interest. The it's the business. This, this is part of the reason why I think the White House, rightfully so, it, it should be a little freaked out because it's not just Russia. It's not just the campaigns. It's conflicts of interest. It's the family. It's uh, looking at a lot of what I would, you know, I would say is cabinet secretaries behaving badly. Uh, you have a lot of policies that they want to look at, too. What is driving the president to make some of these decisions, to roll back certain regulations? Who's benefiting from a lot of these actions that he's taking? So, so it's like, not... we do the travel issue again? Like who took, you yep. know, private planes and Absolutely. jets? Absolutely. So we go back through that. The kids, the yep. family well, actually, come back you know, up. There's book coming out about Jared and Ivanka that could raise some eyebrows and to people of Congress. But so. do you think like Jared and Ivanka and other members of the family, do they get called back up for these committees? It's it fair oh, game. I, I could yeah. you think so? Absolutely. I could definitely see, it, but especially he, Jared. But now, Jared but, okay. But now, Jared did I think one interview with House Intel behind closed doors. But when you have like Don Jr. went and did three, right? He did Senate Intel, Senate Judiciary, and House Intel. I mean, how do they justify saying, oh, hey, guess what? We need you to come back again. Well, I think it's not only is it the the theater of it, especially if it's done in public, because none of those have been done in public Mm -hmm. view. So there's the theater aspect of it. But also we become sort of inured to how unusual it is to have the president's family business continue to operate literally on Pennsylvania Avenue right down the street from the White House. And I don't think Congress is ready to overlook that Mm. just yet. And it's also why, you know, remember, they're going to be going after taxes. And they're already laying the groundwork to get the president's taxes. Which committee goes first for those? Is that uh, Ways and Means? Is that Financial Services? Like who actually says? Well, okay, you've already tax seen ways. You've already seen Ways and Means. They they have the legal authority to request the president's tax returns. They've never had to use it because the president has always just handed them over. And, and so that that chairman could right now essentially get the president's tax returns. But they're trying to make the groundwork and lay the case for why they feel it's necessary for them to take what a step that they have all the authority to, but that they've never done before. I, I think it's just interesting that here we are on the cusp of the closing of the Mueller chapter. We think that chapter is closing. And what you can tell from talking to Mary and what she's seeing on the Hill is... Oh, it's just the beginning. This is, no, this is not the end of the story. But that's the perfect way to end this podcast. 
So I'm gonna I'm gonna have a professional do our goodbye today. Mary, take it away. The pressure is on for Chris Blasto, John Santucci, and Matt Mosk. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the investigation. As this story continues to develop, we'll be recording more episodes to give you the insider look into the latest breaking news in the Mueller investigation. Be sure to hit subscribe and leave us a rating. Thanks to the producers behind the scenes here: Trevor Hastings, Caitlin Fulmer, Emily Rachowski. For my colleagues here with me, I'm Mary Bruce. We'll see you next time on the investigation.